Welcome back to Campaign War Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to folks in the political industry about the lessons they learned during the insanity of campaign life. Today, we're joined by former California Congresswoman Mimi Walters. She tells us the story of her political journey from local government through state government all the way to Congress. We also talk about her recent projects promoting psychedelic medicines for mental health. All right. So before I hit record, we were talking about marathons and you told me that you ran your first and only in the 80s. That would be 1987. I was 25 years old and uh, actually it was three weeks before the marathon. I thought I'm going to go for it. I had never run more than about five miles at a time. So um, two weeks before the marathon, I ran 10 miles. The weekend before the marathon, I ran 20 miles. And then I ran the marathon, of course. And I was dating a guy at the time who um, said, well, let me run the last three miles with you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Run the last three miles with me. And so he did. And um, and we got to the finish. And oh, by the way, I didn't realize at the time it was 26.2 miles. Oh, I got yeah. <laughs> a 26 mile mark and I didn't know I had 2.2 miles ago. Anyway, oh. we, finished, we finished the marathon and then we had to walk back to his car. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Um, I have to now walk three miles back to your car after I just finished a 26.2 mile marathon. Let's just say, Wes, that that relationship did not last long after that marathon. I thought you were going to tell me one of these horrible stories you see on Instagram all the time where uh, like people get engaged at the finish line. (laughs) We see it all the time where like it'll be like a woman finish a marathon or like an Ironman and the guy will get down and propose. I'm like, no woman wants to be proposed to after running 26 miles. No, no, she doesn't. Yeah. In my case, the relationship broke up. Oh man. But like, I think I really appreciate you getting on here today. You were our very first elected official or former elected official. And I know you, you started at like the bottom and worked your way all the way up to, to Congress and served in a lot of different offices. So I'm excited to get the perspective of this world from that of a candidate. So how did, how did this start for you? Well, I had always been interested in politics. I guess I had interned on Capitol Hill back in 1981 for Congressman Bill Thomas from Bakersfield. Okay. And so I sort of gotten the bug uh, after I had done the internship. And, you know, fast forward, I graduated UCLA, got married, you know, had a bunch of kids and moved back to my hometown of Laguna Niguel and decided to really get involved in the city. And I did. Um, and I ran for city council in uh, 1996 was when I first ran for city council and I lost, uh, but I ended up getting appointed to the city council. Uh, so I got lucky. I got uh, a four year term out of it and you could run two four year terms at the time uh, on the local city council. So I did eight years at city council level. Got it. And then. I saw you ran for the state house. Is that right? Yeah. So then I ran for the state assembly. We have term limits in California and our assembly member was being term limited out. So then I ran for the state assembly. And one of the things I did, Wes, and why I was successful at winning the state assembly race, this was in 2004. During my time, I was on the city council in Laguna Niguel. I spent the eight years volunteering with the Republican Party in Orange County. 
And I worked on campaigns. I was a member of the Central Committee. I um, raised money for candidates. So I really understood what it was like to run for higher office just through my volunteer work. Yeah. And I ended up winning my state assembly race um, because I had put that hard work in in the eight years. And my opponent didn't quite understand what it was going to take to get out of that Republican primary. Um, at that time, we had a closed primary in California. Now it's an open primary where they take the top two. But before it was, you know, Republicans voted for Republicans, Democrats voted for Democrats. And it was considered a safe Republican seat at the time that I ran. And then, then was it state Senate after yeah, that? Yeah, then after. You served in like then, every office you could. You, I mean, you literally just climbed the ladder one <laughs> step at a time, didn't you? Well, I just got lucky, I guess. Um, so I then I spent so I spent four years in the state assembly, and then my state senator um, was being term limited out, and um, I ran for the state senate. And in California, you know, the senate seats are bigger than congressional seats. They're, know, they're massive. almost a million people, pretty close to it anyway. That's so insane. I did that for six years. You were in the legislature when Arnold was governor. I was, yes, I was there when um, Arnold was governor and when Jerry Brown was governor as well. Got it. I only bring it up because I watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix this weekend. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah it's great. Was, it's great. You know what? I would say he was um, very gracious with his time and I really enjoyed working with him. I didn't always agree with him. I was probably a bit more conservative than he on yeah. some issues, but um, he was he was very, um, very nice man. I really enjoyed working with him. I didn't know about this whole smoking tent thing he had yes. until I watched the documentary. I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, when you got invited to the smoking tent, it was really important. Yes. Um, usually he was cutting his deals in the smoking tent. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Uh, it was kind of cool. Yeah. I um I, I came up through politics um as a, I got my first campaign job when I was 15, but my background was working for the state senate. Uh, I, I never ran for office, but I have since I got to college, so since I was 18, been involved with our South Carolina Senate Republican Caucus in some capacity. Still, I do the IE work for them. So state senates are kind of, uh, well, we do U.S. Senate races. We're doing Vivek Ramaswamy for president right now. Um, you know, we we we're, we've got five U.S. Senate races. It's, the state Senate is still kind of like my, the love of my life. I, I don't know what it yeah. is. I just feel such a connection to that body. Yeah. And whenever I'm running those races around the country, I really enjoy them. Um, when you went, so then you went from state Senate immediately to Congress. That's correct. So then I went. So then what happened was um, John Campbell was our congressman. He had been our congressman for about ten years, and he had announced in 2013 that he was going to retire. And so it it was a surprise that he announced so early. We had heard hints that he might not be around that much longer, but it, it came as a surprise. And I'll never forget, Wes, I was on my way back from Sacramento. I got a phone call from a guy uh, by the name of Scott Baugh. And Scott Baugh actually is running for my old seat in Congress right now. And Scott Ball calls me and he says, you know, John Campbell's about to announce that he is not going to run for Congress. And if you don't want to run, Mimi, I'm going to run. And I said, hold on, Scott, I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to run. And, and John was going on Hugh Hewitt's show to make the announcement. Ooh. 
So I immediately hung up from Scott Baugh. I called my consultant and I said, did you hear? John's not going to run. And my consultant was John's consultant. And he said, no, I didn't hear it. And, and I said, well, he's about to announce it on Hugh Hewitt. So my consultant said, you need to call five people. You need to call Daryl Isa. You need to call Ed Royce. Uh, you need to call two of my top donors. And then a guy by the name of John Fleshman. John Fleshman has kind of like the local political gossip guy in California. If you want anybody to know anything about politics, you let John Fleshman know. So I called John and I told him I am running for Congress and that John is and that John Campbell's about to announce. And my plan totally worked because I wanted to be the first out the gates. <laughs> and so John Campbell is on the uh, is is being interviewed. He announces he's not running. Hugh Hewitt says, well, I understand Mimi Walters is going to run. And oh, wow. um, and John Campbell says, wow, news travels fast. And it was all because John Fleshman alerted Hugh Hewitt about it. Nice. And that was my whole plan. I want to be the first one out of the gates because I want to be the front runner. And it paid off. It worked. Nice. How many terms did you serve in Congress? Two. Yeah, I was taken out in 2018 with that wave of um, uh, people who didn't like Donald Trump. Uh, oh, yeah. Trump did not like. Uh, my my district did not like Donald Trump. It was the first time in 80 years that my district had actually voted for a Democrat for president. The last time they had done that was when they voted for um, uh, uh, Roosevelt. Ooh. And that's yeah. and Katie Porter's there now. Katie Porter, right. So is, is I know you can't say for certain. You might always come back, but I think you might ever make a comeback one day. You know, I, I, I get asked that question quite a bit. You know, I don't know. I did it for over 20 years yeah. and I don't know that I would ever run for the house again. I might do something here in California possibly, but it's so hard as a Republican because mm -hmm. in California, you know, we're such a liberal state. Um, you know, maybe I'll go back if a friend of mine gets elected president and be in the cabinet or do something like that. Um, I don't know. You never say never in life, right? No, that's exactly right. Happy. Now, are you supporting, if you don't mind me asking, I, I was on your Twitter feed a while ago. Are you supporting Tim for president? Um, well, I haven't officially endorsed anybody. Not that okay. anybody cares about my endorsement. Well, I, I just saw some retweets. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Well, I really like Tim a lot. And yeah. um, my former chief of staff is very involved in his campaign, Sam O. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Sam's at yeah. Target. Yeah. 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 And um I would I think Tim would be a a great candidate for us. He would be a great president for us. Yeah, I'm not on Tim's campaign. I'm helping Vivek, but I've known Tim since he was a council member um here in the Charleston area. I've known him for over 20 years now and he's just a really good human being. He's just such a decent nice man. man. Just a but nice guy. Just an honorable ethical man yeah. too and when you're in politics long enough, uh, you realize that that's kind of rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and totally what, agree. Tell me again. So I, I was on your Twitter page, and um, you know, as you know, we talked about the endurance stuff. I, I'm kind of a body hacker, and I like to experiment, and and I definitely dive very deep into research. Uh, and in in the last five years, psychedelics has been. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go on a podcast and say, "Hey, I do a bunch of psychedelics." I will simply say that I've done just a bunch of research. Um, really went down the rabbit hole of um, MDMA research 
never tried it, but uh, I see that you're, you're promoting psychedelics for medical reasons. Correct. And the backstory on that is my son-in-law, a young man by the name of John Costas, um, at the age of 16, went to his first AA meeting, grew up in New York City, became an alcoholic when he was a teenager, wanted to stop drinking, could not stop, tried everything. Fast forward um, several years later, and his mom's doctor said there's a trial being conducted at NYU and they're looking for study participants where they were would administer psilocybin mm-hmm. to treat alcoholism. And they were looking for treatment resistant candidates. And John fit the exact profile and he went through the treatment eight years ago. And after the first treatment, he lost all craving for drinking. Wow. Now the trial, he had to go through two more treatments and it literally saved his life. And um, John has committed to helping save others because he believes that, like I said, his life was saved. So he had approached me and said, you know, I really want to help other people. I'm going to start a nonprofit called the Apollo Pack. Would you chair it? And at this point, he's like really serious with my daughter. He's not married to her yet, but he's really serious. They had come lived with us during COVID for six months. So I knew that this treatment worked because I'd be drinking and he'd be like, no big deal. Have have a cocktail. So I knew it worked. And um, so I said, of course, I'd be happy to um, help you. And as time went on, he said, you know, um, he had been approached by a young man named Jonathan Lubecki, who um, is a former, you probably have heard of him. I, I know him. He, he, I don't know if he's from Charleston. I think he might actually be from Charleston. He, he's a yeah. South Carolinian. Yeah. Yeah. So Jonathan Lubecki had approached John, uh, my John, and said, you know, would you think that Mimi would start um, help start a bipartisan caucus to help spread the word. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. So I reached out to Lou Correa, who's a Democrat from California, who I served with in the state legislature as well as in Congress, and Jack Bergman, who from Michigan, Republican, who was the class behind me. And I talk to both of them for several months and see if they'd be open to doing this. And they both agreed. They have um, mutual respect for each other. They're both considered more moderates. They um, are extremely well respected in both of their conferences and it made for a perfect match. And so we launched this bipartisan caucus um, in November of 2022 um, and then sort of relaunched it for the 118th Congress. The idea was to to get the word out that we've got the caucus starting, but really fully go out um, in the 118th Congress. And our goal is to not only make members more aware of this treatment, and again, medical purposes only. I yeah. do not support recreation. I do not support le- decriminalization or legalization. That's gotcha. completely off the table for me. But I've seen the effects, not only talking to other veterans who have really been treated for for um, with MDMA for PTSD, which has been significant, um, res- had significant results. 
And so we're trying to educate the members of Congress and we're trying to really get funding for these clinical trials because psychedelics are a schedule one drug mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to get taxpayers to support these clinical trials. So these trials are all being privately funded. And as you can probably imagine, they're extremely expensive. The further along you go on the trials to get FDA approval, the more expensive the trials become. So we are just thrilled that we've got the caucus going and and actually we're launching a coalition. We're working with Forbes Tate in in DC and we're just in the process of getting the coalition built. Um, But we're getting some great momentum and we're hoping to be successful um, in in this endeavor because I really think it's going to save a lot of lives in the mental health space. Yeah, I agree. The reason I, I, you know, I said I was into endurance stuff and body hacking. But the real reason I went down this rabbit hole is both my parents were addicts. Um, my mother died of an opioid fentanyl overdose uh, when I was twenty-three. Uh, my father died of his meth addiction. Um, so mm-hmm. when I read Michael Pollan's uh, "How to Change Your Mind" um, as a recommendation, just from a buddy, I, I read that book and it was just kind of mind blowing to me. So over the last five years, and then obviously that became a a Netflix documentary actually that Jonathan Lebecki was in, um, mm-hmm. in that, uh, it was Netflix. I believe. Yeah, it was Netflix. Um, so I, I have been super fascinated with it just because, um, of what happened with my parents. And I actually know a, a political consultant, a very prominent political consultant. Unfortunately, his son passed away after a relapse, but mm-hmm. died of an, uh, was a, was an opioid addict, mm-hmm. went and did ayahuasca yeah, and it, it basically cured him for years. And and then had a relapse, unfortunately, but for years was clean and attributes it to uh, the ayahuasca experience. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about, and I, um, uh, you know, it's so unfortunate. And I think the biggest challenge that we have as Republicans is the stigma of psychedelics. Right? You had the war on drugs in the 1970s, where that basically stopped all of this research. Um, with the Controlled Substance Act that was passed. And Mm -hmm. they were, you know, scientists were making really great strides um, on this research in the 50s and 60s, but then it got completely just shut down. And so we have to be very thoughtful and very careful as we approach um, using this type of treatment, because what we can't do, Wes, is let the decrim and the legalization people over overtake the narrative because your members of Congress will just they'll walk away from it. That's right. They're not going to support it, and we are. That's why we're so strict about having this treatment be for for you know uh, medical purposes only, and and has to be supervised. And it's not just taking a pill. I mean, you have to go through psychotherapy. It's yeah. psychotherapy plus the the drug that you take with it. Um, but it's pretty exciting space to be in. Um, but if you had told me five years ago, I'd be promoting this type of treatment. <laughs> I'd be saying, tell me what psychedelic you're taking, because I would have I I wouldn't have been there on this. It's it's taken a while. But sometimes it just takes that personal experience and having that personal connection to to put you there. When you see it with your own eyes, it it changes the whole narrative for you. But that's awesome. I think you're doing great yeah. work, and I'm excited to see it. So changing the subject a little bit, because um, I don't want to keep it too long. The whole purpose of this podcast is to hear you know campaign stories from operatives, and for the first time, we got a, an actual candidate. So let's dive into one of your favorite campaign stories. You said you've been doing this for over 20 years. So I'm sure you got hundreds of them. Yeah, no, I do have a lot. I think the most um, 
fulfilling one, I guess, or the most exciting one for me was that 2004 race that I did um, when I ran for the state assembly because I was running against a gentleman who is the chairman of the board of supervisors in Orange County. And everybody gave him the, you know, the nod that he was going to be the winner. And I was this at the time, I was a stay-at-home mom. And, you know, I had four kids under the age of five. So I, you know, had a lot on my plate and um, nobody thought, you know, this stay-at-home mom was going to win, but I knew I could win primarily because, as I mentioned before, I spent eight years volunteering my time and uh, with the Republican Party. And I learned, I guess, the biggest thing I learned there was when I'm sitting on the dais as a local elected official on a nonpartisan race, every vote matters. And when you're Republican and you run for higher office and you're in a Republican primary, you better have watched your votes when you were on that that dais as um, a local elected official, because your record is going to come back to haunt you uh, if you didn't, you know, sort of go along what you told people you believed in. And so I was very careful to watch my votes. When I couldn't decide what uh, how to vote on an issue, I always went back to my conservative roots. And so when I ran against the chairman of the Board of uh, Supervisors, he was kind of a flip-flopper, and we just nailed him on his record. And that's how we ultimately, I ultimately won, was because getting out of Republican primary, we painted him as a, as a big liberal. And he sort of gave up at the end because I think he knew that he he wasn't going to win in the primary. I think I beat him like by 13 points or something. I mean, I, I smashed him and it Ooh. was sweet victory, although his wife was not happy for a long time. <laughs> um, but uh, that's okay. We became friends many years later. Oh, man. It's always, the, I always talk about it, how the candidates' wives, I still have it where some opponents are like become friends of mine, but the candidates' wives never forgive. No. Ever. No. no. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So do you... um. Were these flip-flops just, he was just kind of going whichever way the wind blew? Yeah. Kind of what yeah, it was? I, mean, it's, I mean, listen, we had, you know, you have a lot of special interest, of course. Um, and, and you know, people are wanting you to vote the way they want you to vote. Um, that might not make sense from a fiscal perspective. And that's where he really got caught, I think. And we did this great hit piece on him. Um we had a, um, his last name was Wilson, and we had a um, a picture of a waffle with syrup on it and a picture of his face. And we had Wilson the waffler, and we made the waffle kind of, you know, um, you know, go up and down, I guess, if you will. And it was a great piece a great hit piece. And I think that sort of sealed the deal for us. That's awesome. Well, this has been awesome. I love the story. I love your background. I'd love to see what you're going to do in the future. And, and I, and I definitely love the work you're doing on uh, the psychedelics. I think it's going to definitely help some people, you know, like my, like my parents maybe could have been helped with something yeah. like that. And, um, and, and is it your son-in-law now they got married? It's my son. Yeah, they did get married. Yeah. So it is my son-in-law and, you know, I would love to keep, you up to date on what we're doing because um we you know we've got a pretty big pe- presence in DC and we're going to continue to move the ball forward and see if we can't get some real support behind this treatment. 
um, it's an exciting time. And I'm very sorry for your loss with your parents because, you you. know, no one should have to go through any of that. It's, it's just devastating, absolutely devastating. So, you know, hopefully, you know, um, you know, you're stronger for what you've had to deal with, with your parents, but, um, but, you know, we're not going to give up on trying to treat mental health disorder. We're going to keep fighting. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Wes.